the same group of Marines that would fight. You throw them a deck of cards, they'd play spades all night long, just smoking and joking. In our last episode for season one, we have the pleasure of speaking with Mike Davison, a former Marine who served for 21 years. Mike talks about his deployments in Lebanon and the Gulf War, his experiences as a drill sergeant, and starting up his own contracting business after transitioning. Lots of laughs followed by great stories from Mike as we wrap up season one. Real stories, real heroes, for a real cause. This is Never Left Behind, the podcast. Mike, thanks for joining us tonight. Well, it's an honor to be talking with you and, and for you to share your story with us. We're happy to have you on the show and uh, we, I want to get started and, and um, I wanted to find out a little bit more about how you grew up and why did you, did you come from a military family to start or no? No, I didn't. Uh, my father was, was in the army. He was drafted, did two years. I believe he got out of private. Wasn't, I don't even think he was much of a military fan, but, uh, um, uh, when I, my older brother had joined the Marines, uh, two years before me, and mm -hmm. I was the one that talked him into joining the Marines. And, and, uh, so there's the military uh, background and, um, but uh, I, I do want to say uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak before I go any further. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, our show is is meant to honor the veterans, of the United States, who have you know served and, and defended the country. But I, I feel like there's a lot more detail in the veteran story than we're used to hearing. You know, doing more of these long length podcasts gives veterans their own voice, and you know, it, it's just important to share the stories. There's so many. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's very uh, very neat what you guys have going on here. You know, I I never claimed to be a hero. And, you know, I didn't go through the jungles in Vietnam or kick down doors in Fallujah. And but I did, you know, devote twenty over twenty one years of my life uh, to the country, to the Marine Corps, and uh, I do uh, I do like to speak about it. I, yeah. And if I have someone willing to listen, I'm willing to talk. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that's excellent and so where did you uh grow up then again mike i grew up in uh, buffalo new york right a suburb right outside the tondawandas uh, near niagara falls and it was uh pretty much just an average neighborhood and average uh type family for the time here my father was a contractor uh i grew up working at a young age um there were no military bases around uh and, uh, you know, I had, uh, four siblings, mom and dad, and grew up in a little ranch house, moved around a couple of times in Buffalo and, um, you know, nothing spectacular, just, uh, typical America during that, uh, 1970s time era. And how do you get used to that cold every year? <laughs> well, you, I don't think I ever liked it. You just <laughs> so Dan no, and I were up there. In what January? No, it's February. February, it was, yeah, the second week of February. We stopped in Niagara Falls, thinking we were just going to see this like kind of half frozen, really cool looking place, and it was so cold that the mist was getting basically frozen in air, 
and it just you couldn't see anything yeah and they had the whole parking lots filled with snow and we were like all right well i guess we'll have to come back in the spring (laughs) (laughs) and it is a lovely place in the spring and summer but yeah winter winter can be tough winter can be tough and uh, you just you know you grow up with it you deal with it and uh, matter of fact it was in uh uh february time frame i was trying to put a roof on and that was the even though i knew i was going to join the marines uh, right out of high school i just stuck around a little bit and and uh, helped with my father's business and um it was february and it was real cold and we were trying to put a roof on that's when I went down to recruiting station in Tonawanda, New York, and said, can you put me someplace warm? And he says, how's Paris <laughs> Island, South Carolina? <laughs> That's a lot better. Yeah, no kidding. So what, what was your uh, initial motivation, I guess, to join the Marine Corps? Um, well, I, I, I'm 61 years old, so, you know, I wasn't in the Vietnam time here, but I – was young enough to pay close attention, um, old enough to pay attention to, to the Vietnam war. And, um, I just had a strong patriotism. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, you name it from GI Joe to war movies, uh, just like any other red blooded American, you, you grow up playing army and Marines or whatever. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I, Played on a little league football team. We won a trip to uh, Washington D.C. and I seen this man in a military uniform, and his presence just dominated the area. And I was staring at him. I was a young kid, maybe 13, 14. And uh, he asked me what I was looking at, and I said I liked your army uniform. And uh, this guy got about two inches from my face and he told me if I kick you square in the butt, he said, you'll learn to recognize a Marine in uniform next time. And well, <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was my shooting poster. I just wanted to be like that guy. And, uh, so, you know, I, I grew up, um, I didn't play a whole lot of sports. I wrestled, played football, but I was certainly not the top athlete in school. And, mm-hmm. but I've, always had great endurance and uh, grew up tough. I wanted that discipline. And so it was just, it was just the right fit, even though at that time there, um, once again, Vietnam was over, but uh, there was still the feel in the ear mm-hmm. um, where the military was not a popular thing to do. I believe I was the only, in fact, I'm pretty sure I was the only one out of my high school who joined the military. Wow. Um, and then, uh, nineteen seventy time here. Um, if you went home and leave, everybody knew you were a Marine. Um, and it wasn't a good experience neither. Um, you know, the uh, somebody wanted to fight you. Uh, the girls didn't want to talk to you. Um, it it was a very negative uh, time for the military. The pay was pay was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it was even worse. And like I said, uh, you left base and you, you, you left base or even when, when you went back home in New York, you weren't treated well at all. Mm-hmm. There was no there to try to take your money. Uh, somebody wanted to fight you, but mm-hmm. it didn't, it didn't matter to me. I just, uh, I enjoyed 
uh, being a Marine and I didn't give a dang what anybody else thought about it. And so that I carried on. How, how long did that, that mentality, you know, for, from society last that, that negative look on the military and what, what pushed you to continue to serve, especially since you, you witnessed all that and all that negativity? Well, um, to answer your first question, um, well, my first, uh, experience, um, with combat was in Beirut, Lebanon. And, uh, most of our senior enlisted were, uh, were Vietnam veterans and, um, and it, would, we even got some negative uh, treatment from the Vietnam vets who were uh, our senior Marines. You know, mm-hmm. some people uh, you run across, they, they believe that two wrongs make a right, you know, and they they still wouldn't treat us good. Mm. But uh, um, we were coming back from Beirut, and I remember a first Sergeant Bell, I do believe he was a Vietnam vet, was uh, they were preparing us, you know, that. Uh, uh, that look, get home and it's, it's not going to be pleasant, you know? And, and we got home, uh, we, we took a ship there and back. And I believe the ship I was on was El Paso. And, um, we got back and we were treated quite well. And, mm. uh, that's, so I'll say that's about when things started to turn around. Um, and then they answer your other question about what, kept me going well i was never the type of person to give a dang what other people (laughs) were thinking because (laughs) i I know it's right and (laughs) and what it's right to me it's right in my heart so i I didn't give a dang what anybody else thought so this is america gosh damn it (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy to hear that that yeah but it's so different back then you have to remember everybody wore long hair in the seventies. Mm-hmm. So you can spot a, and then of course the Marine Corps even wore shorter hair and, uh, jarhead bonehead. We heard it all. I mean, <laughs> but, and, uh, for those who wanted to fight, well, I was up for that too. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy to hear that. Like back then, obviously there was a big political movement going on to where people weren't very supportive of the military even like you said, just after Nam and how today's soldiers are more welcomed home. It's just, well, it's I, crazy how different it is. No, I, I don't know. I, I, things have definitely adjusted a bit. It's, you think so? It's, yeah. Oh yeah. hundred okay. percent early, early in like the GWAT era. Um, there was all those welcome home parties, you know, people got excited. There was always, you know, parades in the town and all these different things. And, largely that has gone away mm-hmm. it's not to the level of vietnam where there was definitely you know people despised those who served but there were there's definitely still uh less of a support now than there was early you know in, in early 2000s right yeah and as far as the political side i you know i I early, um, I, I retired in 2000. So, you know, I, and of course, uh, Iraq was invaded shortly after nine 11 and at least here in Pennsylvania, people would put up signs all over support the troops, bring them home. Mm-hmm. 
were against most of these people were against uh, President Bush at the time. Yeah. And uh, well, I used to go around with a uh, uh, can of spray paint. And as soon as they had put the sign in, I would spray paint just over the bring them home, just where I'd leave through. So but they, they had their little inside. Uh, you know, it, it, they just try to, there are certain people that will, will always be against the military and mm-hmm. they just try a different approach during this time. Yeah. But, um, you know, for the most part, I do think that your, your average American, you know, they, they, they like to see the young men and women serving, doing well. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I've been retired just as long as, or just as long as I served now. And, um, and, and I'm not one of these type of guys where I, I, I don't wear t-shirts, the hat. I don't even have the bumper sticker. I never even got a tattoo that said U S Marines, but everybody still knows it. No bulldog tattoo, huh? No, no, never got none of that stuff. <laughs> and 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 it, being in business in the civilian world, it's helped me out tremendously. Just you know, I've had all sorts of people. Well, you were good enough for the Marines. You're good enough to, to be, you know, to come work on my house. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's you know, the negativity is very little. It's and you don't even look at that. You just you know. Just reach out and grab the good things and and deal with the good people and life's good. You know, you you said a really interesting thing because I, I just thought of this and I, I think this holds probably pretty true is when it comes to a lot of small businesses and especially contractor, construction, plumbing, electrical, that type of thing. I feel like the the veteran owned business definitely carries really, really well in that space. Mm-hmm. But where you don't see it as much is is in the, in the corporate spaces, which is such an interesting thing to me. And I think it's that mindset of like a veteran will pay attention to the individual and the customer at the end of the day and will do an excellent job, but for whatever reason, they can't work in an office space, which maybe holds a little bit of validity for some people, but for the most part, that's not the case. And, uh, sorry, I just came to that realization and because I believe that like that I've seen that firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have much experience on that. I do know when I was retiring, um, and uh, you have to forgive me. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the class. It's pretty much, uh, it's kind of like a job fair mm-hmm. right before you retire or get out. And uh, I, where I retired was here in Erie, Pennsylvania, and there's no military reserve or military bases around here. So I went to Quantico, Virginia. And Quantico, Virginia is, uh, it's, it's more of an officer based than an enlisted base. You know, they train the officers there. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's the type of base where, where a captain makes a cup of coffee, like a private, you know? And, and so we went into this class and, um, probably half, I would say about 60% of the class was retiring, you know, majors, colonels and on, and the other half of the class was like uh, my enlisted mm-hmm. uh, B-79s. And the people they were bringing in, they were like from Merrill Lynch. And they were searching for those type of, of you know, they were searching for the college educated, not the blue collar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And basically that's, you know, um, 
when you when you get down to it, the the enlisted is the blue collar, and the officer is the you know you know the more desk type uh, type job. Uh, and I do have a good friend of mine. He's a retired Marine as well. And his name's uh, retired Gunner Sergeant Brian McGowan. And his business, uh, he's pretty much a headhunter for military. Mm. Mm. He's uh, out of Akron, Ohio. He's uh, been friends for many years. Uh, uh, and this, this lets you know a little bit about, a little bit about Brian. Um, he was our admin clerk when I first met him and, uh, he's the absolute perfect admin clerk. You know, he, he paid attention to everything. Um, you know, you knew you were going to, your leave was going to be on time. You knew you, that your pay was going to be there because Brian was always on it. And he was also a recruiter. So, you know, he took his skills and he created his business, um, pretty much as a headhunter for, um, military personnel getting out and, um, he'll do it at all levels too. You know, whether you're just, whether you were just, uh, did your four years of supply or infantry or whatever, and all the way up to, you know, your retired, uh, lawyer, a JAG lawyer, um, he'll find you a job. So, um, it's, it's pretty much out there. I, What's the name of his business, if you don't mind me asking? Yes. Who is this gentleman? Uh, What's the name of the business, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, You know, I I can't tell you the name of his business right now. I'm I'm sorry. No, it's okay. If you you tell us uh, after this, we'll we'll link it in the... um, in the description, because I, I think for one, I have a friend who lives in Akron, who's a veteran that I served with. Um, and I know, you know, he's he's always looking for a good opportunity. Um, but mm-hmm. we would also love to, you know, share that opportunity with any veterans that are listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. Brian's heavily involved in, you know, in the AMVETS and uh, the VFW. He's he's, he's he's a really good guy. He's, he was dedicated from the day I met him as an admin clerk. And, you know, we all picked on the admin guys. And, uh, well, <laughs> You know, but nothing was worse than a, than a bad uh, admin clerk who didn't care. I mean, we didn't have those issues with uh, Brian. He was he was there, and he's and he's there now. You know, twenty years after retirement. That's incredible. Well, Mike, yeah. to, to move it on um, a little further, tell us a bit more about. I know you recently told me in a previous conversation that you served. You know, two positions: one being a motor transport to becoming a drill instructor. Um, what were both those mm-hmm. positions like for you? Um. Well, I was a little shocked when I graduated from boot camp. Uh, um, they really didn't guarantee you a whole lot at that time. Um, you know, I, my guaranteed when I joined was uh, it, it pretty much said this. We offer you a one-way plane ticket to Paris Island to prove that <laughs> you, you, you have to prove to us that, you know, you can be one of us. <laughs> and that's it. And then uh, I think about a week before boot camp, they tell you, okay, you're, you're going here, you're going there. You know, they just walk down. I guess it went off your scores and, uh, you know, artillery, infantry, motor mm-hmm. transport. And so I went to motor transport and um, I was kind of disappointed at the time. 
and uh, they sent me to school and I absolutely hated high school. And I, you know, I'm like, why am I here in school? I just want to be a Marine. <laughs> I run around, shoot somebody or something. Come on. And, uh, but then I, you know, I got to, uh, my first duty station was Okinawa, Japan and, um, mm. um, nothing's like your first four years and your first enlistment, you know, you could stick around for 20, 30 years, but nothing's, you know, nothing could beat your first four years. You know, mm. it's all you had to do was do what the gunny said and, and the sergeant said, and, uh, you know, wear shiny boots and <laughs> try not to get in trouble <laughs> and go have fun with your buddies. But, uh, I went to Okinawa, Japan was my first enlistment. Um, I was with a company called MTM company, motor transport maintenance company. And we worked on a bunch of old, uh, the Jeeps and the deuce and a halfs and a, a vehicle called the gamma goat. Um, it was an oscillating vehicle that could climb mountains or swim across the lake. Whoa, that's um, pretty cool. Yeah, this this was all Vietnam uh, and sometimes Korean War um, vehicles, and they were really simple to work on and a lot of fun to drive. And um, um, uh, I did my first deployment um, with uh, First Reconnaissance Battalion as a support element. And, uh, we got, we went to, uh, Guam and Tinian, mm -hmm. uh, those, uh, in the Philippines, we were the first Marines to land in Tinian since the, uh, since world war two. And if you know your history, that's where the atom bomb took off yep. from. And, uh, so, you know, here was 19 years old and I'm on this little island and, they never did even clean up after the war. You know, you seeing all these little island kids running around with uh, American and Japanese helmets with holes in the side of them and playing on old tanks. And uh, so that stuff was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. We went to the Philippines. Um, we did the, I believe they called it jest training at mm -hmm. the time. It was a, it was a jungle, uh, jungle training. Um, and, uh, it wasn't too intense though. I mean, they basically the Filipino uh, people didn't have much money and they just wanted to sell you all sorts of new things like machetes made from car springs and everybody, every Marine had to have his butterfly knife and cut your fingers all up. And, um, but, uh, it was my first time being around what, we didn't call them special forces at the time. They were just recon. And, um, this was when I met some very, very impressive, uh, um, older Vietnam vet Marines. And I'm talking one individual first sergeant drum, you know, I just looked at this guy and it's like, Oh my God, <laughs> don't ever get me. And I looked at, Hey, Guy looked, looked at, he was built like if somebody took cinder blocks and super glued them to his chest for pecs. And, uh, Jesus, and he went around and he didn't call you by your name. He just said peckerhead. <laughs> <laughs> he always had a cigar out of the side of his mouth. And I mean, they could, they could have made a, a, a cartoon out of him. and, you know, come here, peckerhead. And, um, and, you know, one of the things that I said earlier was in the 70s, everybody had long hair except for the Marines. And 
well, so back then you tried to push your hair a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I tried it, you know, I'm thinking maybe I'd get a girly friend with a little bit longer hair. So, uh, I reported in and to him and he didn't say one word to me. He just said, come here, peckerhead and kick the chair from behind me, uh, from behind me, push me down and open his dresser or desk drawer and pull out a set of clippers and gave me a proper high and tight. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. They don't do it like that anymore. No, no, do you think, no, no. do you think he's always had those clippers there just waiting for that opportunity? Or do you think he does, his own, he did his own haircuts every time? No, I don't know. I don't know. He was, uh, <laughs> he was fun enough, though. And, uh, yeah, uh, the ship, I believe, was the El Paso that we took. It was uh, like a three, four-month float. Um, this was during the Iranian hostage situation, too. So, you know, that was one of the reasons for us to be out there. And uh, if, you rec- uh, if you know your history, uh, President Ronald Reagan took over, and the Iranians had a change of mind real quick. Yep. Um, but, yeah, that was uh, – that was my first uh, experience of long time uh, field living. And, um, you know, my first experience of being on a naval ship. And I, I, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Mm. You know, and then uh, it, w- it was quite different, though, because you're, you're as a, like I said from the beginning, I never was this big war hero or nothing, but here as a support Marine you're amongst these, uh, forest recon Marines and, um, come morning PT or, uh, do a forest march, you know, you didn't want to be looked at as anything less. Mm-hmm. And, uh, physically, I was always, uh, in top shape so I could keep up with them and that made me feel real proud. And, but, uh, I often wanted to try out for recon, but back then you had, had infantry background and they did way too much swimming for me. <laughs> <laughs> I swim like a rock. So, I mean, <laughs> but uh, they were, uh, they were a unique bunch of guys to be around. Um, they're definitely badasses and the type of guys that you're glad that uh, they're on your side. So and, back then doing support then you're, are you pretty much on the 50 Cal then? Uh, well, motor transport that we had the 50 cal rings. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, that was your weapon. Yeah. In your MC. Um, and, uh, well, I've, and also being a support Marine, uh, going up a couple years ahead when I was in Lebanon, they would have patrols going out, whether they, uh, any type of motor patrol going out, um, uh, you would have to show up in the, in the morning. It, at first they'd kind of laugh at you cause you had your M16 uh, slung over your, uh, shoulder and then you had your toolbox in your other hand <laughs> and the grunts and everybody would look at you and they'd kind of laugh and well, that, uh, Jeep would break down and, and like, motor tee up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, um, there was one incident where uh, you, you, you knew that things were not right when you, you didn't see the 
the children playing. You didn't see anybody on. And we're broke down in this in this little alley, and well, next thing you know, and you had to get your jeep running, and well, I ripped off my cambio bounce, took off my t-shirt, and the car. We knew we had carburetor problems. Stuck the carburetor in the gas tank, and and uh, fired it up, and just put that soaking wet uh, t-shirt and the, and the uh, carburetor and it was enough to get us out of there before anybody get killed or anything. So, yeah. Wow. You, you had to prove yourself being a, being a support Marine. Yeah. And I was always like up. It. I loved it. Uh, you know, I think you're the first person we've probably talked to that's been on a ship and especially being uh, a Marine on a ship. I I've always wondered, what is that like that integration with the Navy? And then also, you know, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Cause I would imagine the Navy is responsible for the ship, but you're also responsible for readiness and to do whatever the objective is, wherever the ship's going to end up. Well, yeah. Um, I'm sorry to say that, uh, for any Navy guys out there, but I had some very horrible experiences on ship. Very, uh, um, but I, let's let's just take ten sailors, and fifty uh, percent of them, they're there just to do their job. They don't give a dang if you're there, if you're not there. Uh, and then twenty five percent will do anything for you. You know, hey Marine, uh, you know here's here's a little extra child. Hey Marine, uh, mm-hmm. let me show you this. And then there's that other twenty five percent. These guys. <laughs> They'll walk a mile out of your way just uh, pissing your bowl of Cheerios. Oh no! Oh man! Marines <laughs> and Navy—that's that's it's not always a love affair by no means. Um, I had one time I was going through the chow line and and uh, um, here's this pure piece of white fat. Um, they were serving corned beef, and it's just set to the side. And back then you had the metal trays and you put your metal tray under the glass. And this sailor looks at me with this smart ass grin and slaps a piece of pure white fat on my tray. I take it off. And he says, get going, Jarhead. Well, I got going right up over that glass. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And I, and I, I jumped over that glass and started whipping on him and, uh, this big Navy chief come around and he, he, he was a big black Navy chief and he picked me up like I was a rag doll, you know, and he, he said, what are you doing on my mess, uh, my mess men? And I'm like, that's what he tried to feed me. And he looks at the sailor and he goes, my cooks work their ass off and that's what you want to feed them. <laughs> so, yeah, but you know, that was some of the bad experiences. Um, you know, uh, Liberty time. Um, well, you know, you always had somebody to fight <laughs> <laughs> and, and it, it never stopped. Just one, you know, you'd get them, they'd get you. And, uh, I'm sure you talked to any sailor and he's got his stories about the Marines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what did we do? Well, if you were ship's personnel, you had a job there were Marines, there were ships personnel, they were your embark Marines and stuff. But if you weren't, you were just considered, uh, embark 
you, you were no different than a, than a box being hauled. And, um, you definitely knew you were in their way. And, uh, um, we had the cleanest rifles cause you cleaned your rifles three times a day. PT was limited because, uh, um, unlike a aircraft carrier, um, for instance, uh, LST is a landing ship tank. Mm-hmm. Picture a ship the size of a city block hmm. with a complete flat bottom. And uh, so you couldn't lift weights. If you tried to bench, you know, it, it might go up real hard this time. Depending on whatever the ship was doing, your weights were going against you. Jeez. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, the seas are rough. Nobody was allowed off deck. You went down into well deck, and uh, it was about 120 degrees down there, and and you weren't allowed down there neither because if equipment broke loose, which commonly happened, um, if a five-ton truck broke loose and slamming around down there, you it, you wouldn't want to be nowhere near it. So, um, but uh, you did a lot of jump rope and. And you had clean burden areas because they made us clean the burden areas six times a day. <laughs> and uh, you always find a place to hide too. You know, um, you knew certain details were coming up. Uh, for instance, we've seen these Navy welders and plumbers come into our birthing area and here's this big pipe and they start cutting into it. Well, it was a sewer pipe. And so all this human, <laughs> all this waste is, you know, oh, slopping no. all around. As the waves are rolling, the turds are going back oh, and no. forth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, one damn thing. <laughs> Find a place to hide. <laughs> oh, shit. Literally, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you found a place in your head. Um, and, uh, but uh, life went awful show, slow on ship as well. You know, you, you counted the days down and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, now I'm in my sixties, I'd give anything for some of that time to slow down, but, <laughs> you know, and, but uh, I was on several ships. Uh, I, I would say, uh, Del Paso was probably the, the best ship I was on, um, because we had a Navy captain, um, can't remember the gentleman's name, but I still do have a picture of him. And first thing he did was he put us all in formation and he said, okay, he said, uh, uh, one Marine, take a step forward. One sailor, take a step forward. And he, he mixed our jobs with us. So, mm. you know, I got to go down in the engine room and work with the sailors. And, uh, and then the, the Navy guys came across to, you know, we, taught them how to break down the 60 and the 50 and, you know, and then we, you know, we taught them Marine things and they taught us Navy things. And so once again, you know, the guy in charge makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to uh, kind of, I guess, transition a little bit, because I know you you were talking about previously how you spent some time in Lebanon. And mm-hmm. I, I know it's a it's honestly to a lot of people, a little known conflict of, of what was happening at the time. So I was wondering if you can give a little bit of backstory to your knowledge and then also explain some of your experiences there. OK, um, 
there, uh, I believe it was 1982, the first mile, which is a marine amphibious unit, uh, you, you would do six month rotations. They were always out of Camp Lejeune at the time. Um, the sixth fleet is who would take us over there. Uh, and, uh, so the, the Palestinian, uh, liberation organization, PLO, mm -hmm. um, and the Israelis were, uh, weren't getting along. If you can imagine that here we are, how many years later and still happening, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, they moved into Lebanon and Lebanon is a mixture of, um, Muslims and Christians. You had the Druze, the Shiites, um, and of course the Israelis. And uh, nobody wanted to get along, and so there was there's some bad things happening. Where the the president, President Reagan, sent the Marines in, and there was a airport uh, hotel. Um, it was the PLO's headquarters. There's, Israelis pulled up with tanks and gunships and um, unloaded on this building. Uh, the Marines and the Navy went in as a peace peacekeeper and pulled the PLO out. That was the first mile. The second mile was the one that I went in. Um, we got there. Uh, I can't remember what month. It was 1983 in the early summer, um, spring. So it was spring. And uh, they had just previously uh, blew up the U.S. Embassy. Hmm. So, you know, we knew what type of games they were up to. Um, yeah, at this time, this was pretty new, but it was pretty devastating, too. And uh, if and then uh, we were doing foot patrols, motor patrols. We weren't, at first, uh, they were just all eyes and ears and no conflict. Um, but as time went on, uh, you know, they got more bold. Started off with uh, nightly rocket fire, sniper fire. So, you know, they just told us to dig in, fill more sandbags, and that's what we did. We went from living in GP tents to living underground. Um, just built higher sandbag walls so the snipers couldn't get us. And um, the foot patrols became more real. And uh, like some of the motor patrols we would do is the Israelis weren't, uh, they weren't telling us much. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, we knew that they were getting ready to pull out, which was going to leave a vacuum. And, uh, you know, you, they pull out of a certain section, there was going to be more bloodshed between the Christians and the, and the Muslims, or they would have what's called the Lebanese armed forces, which was supposed to be, uh, both Christian and Muslim. Mm -hmm. but I do believe it was mostly Christian. I think the Christians had most of the politics, most of the money, and of course the Muslim had most of the population. Um, so there was a lot of tension in the air. Um, it was definitely a war torn, uh, environment. Um, you know, we do the foot patrols or the motor, motor patrols. Uh, it, it was pretty devastating. 
to see a whole city just shot up, tore up, um, war orphans. Um, you could definitely smell death in the air. Um, so you knew, you knew the things were getting real. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and nothing was getting better. Um, as time went on, we were getting shelled more, uh, it was mostly rockets and we learned to play the game. It was three, they'd shoot three rockets at a time. And, uh, at the time, at, at the time we, they just sent a new piece of equipment over called tab. It was the only, only army personnel over there, uh, target acquisition battery. And, uh, it would, it would tell you where the rounds were coming from up until that point. Um, there was a lot of guard duty to be stood. And, and, uh, one of the guard duties was, uh, when, uh, one of the things you had to do in guard duty was you had to, if you seen where the fire was coming from and you had your map, you'd call it in or the snipers. And, and, uh, then of course these were mobile, uh, mounted rockets. So by the time our, our artillery would fire back, they were gone. And, things started to change real quick once we had that uh, tab unit, because by the time, you know, by the time we would receive, we were sending. Mm. Um, and uh, so they started bringing in bigger guns. Um, I believe it was the Shoot Mountains. And I do believe that they came from the country of Syria. And they started uh, our raining rockets and artillery down on us. Jeez. And uh, um, they told us to uh, just get low and enjoy the fireworks. And they let loose with the USS New Jersey, <laughs> the old battleship. And, <laughs> well, once again, we were on top. Their guns silenced real quick when you send uh, rounds the size of a Volkswagen up in those mountains. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, and, uh, but... Uh, ceasefires were very very uh they didn't happen if they did happen it didn't happen that long um uh i had my first child was born over there so Mm. back then you didn't have skype uh or text um we had a ceasefire went into the uh com shack and they had a uh retired master sergeant who volunteered his time at the Naval uh, hospital in Camp Lejeune. And, uh, I, uh, I found news of my son being born by, uh, boy over. <laughs> that was and, and the ceasefire ended and, and then you waited for the letter letters took an average of, uh, say at least on average 30 days to receive. Jeez. What a, you would, uh, what a, <laughs> you would letter them, you know, so yeah. you, you're counting your letters. Okay. I got a letter 23, but, um, you know, uh, where's letter 20 and 21. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we still did a lot of same things that, uh, I mean, now they have what's called, I, I think the kids call them selfies. Mm-hmm. You know, back then, 35 <laughs> meters, uh, cameras, and 
you know, we we took our Rambo pictures. We thinking we're tough guys, you know. Um, Mike, you're aging you yourself. Know. Don't do that to you. Right, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. There's worse things in this world than being old. It certainly beats the other option, you know. <laughs> that's that's definitely true. I think you were previously yeah, we, telling me, wasn't there like the um, to record like the world's biggest non nuclear bomb that went off in Lebanon? Well, if it still holds, but uh, really, it was one Sunday. October 23rd, um, and we would get hot chow on Sundays. The, the BL, that same hotel I told you about, mm-hmm. was uh, our battalion landing team headquarters element. And who housed in that element was um, our headquarters, our admin, uh, recon, supply, armory, and medical and dental. Um, so they're in this this big hotel. And then of course, uh, when I, I do want to mention that there were no maids, no beds, no electricity, no windows, because like I had mentioned earlier, there was a major firefight out of this building. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the, the building was great. Uh, you know, if, if you, as long as you didn't stick your head near a window, which we sandbagged them all up anyways, um, a sniper wasn't going to get you and it would reflect an RPG round and, it could even handle a rocket. Uh, um, wow. It could even handle a rocket. But uh, um, Chow would normally go at zero seven, and uh, um, but that morning the colonel, for whatever god reason, said no. Chow's not going to go to nine. He's going to let the the cook sleep in, and. Um, for lack of better words, I guess it's not politically correct, but we had a, we allowed the, what we call the Haji. We allowed the Haji in there and he would sell us sodas and candies from out in town. And well, mysteriously, he didn't show up that day neither. Hmm. And, uh, um, it was a little bit after seven. It's, uh, when a, uh, truck bomb, it was a semi, uh, filled with uh, dynamite and explosives and wrapped with oxygen bottles. And it was an open foyer. You can remember it's Mediterranean, so you really didn't need doors or anything. And he drove it right in the center of the building. And um, it was about the size of any decent sized Holiday Inn. And it went down like a stack of cards. And uh, the Marines uh, lost their life that morning. How many? And... I believe it's two forty-one. Jeez, that's insane. And and obviously you were there to to witness all that, and I imagine help out with everything. Yeah, um, and uh, you know it's uh, it's a matter of uh, where God wanted you that day. You know, forty-one. That's you know what's incredible. Incredible to me is like I I remember hearing about this because in I, I want to say it was. Honestly, I think I heard this in in basic training or something. They were talking about it, but a lot of people don't realize how bad that event was. I think it was the, since Pearl Harbor, it was the worst singular massacre event or or, or whatever, like single loss of life for our military. Yes. That's crazy. It's, it's, Um, it's crazy. It was, uh, uh, I had already retired, um, when nine 11 happened. 
and I just opened my business and I just finished uh, um, with my very first job and I had a real nice paycheck anyways compared to what the military gave me <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, um, I went in a bank in a small town called Fairview Pennsylvania and I went to cash my first big paycheck and I'm I'm watching the TV as the towers went down and uh, um, I, I smelled Lebanon watching that TV. I tasted it. Uh, I, I shook like I was there. Jeez. And, um, and I, I was just very upset that you know, people were watching it and they're like, oh dear, oh my, oh dear, oh my, that's terrible. It's like, <laughs> you don't know. No, you don't, you know, and uh, I, I, I called my wife and of course everybody was calling everybody at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I called my wife and um, uh, I think I might even called my mother, but I didn't want to talk about it. I just wanted to, I was angry that people didn't know the smell. Mm. You, you can see it on TV, but your senses didn't know what was going on, you know, until you smell it, until you yep. taste it, until you hear it. And 9-11 was just a, a massive repeat. And, you know... I, I, I hope pray to God, you know, that nothing like that ever happens again. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you said, as somebody who's, you know, been there for, I don't know, I, I guess definitely less intense than, than what you've seen or, or less intense than nine eleven. but somebody who's been around for a lot of explosions and a lot of, ordinance being dropped on things and it it is something that you definitely cannot erase from your memory like you just know that distinct smell and honestly even as as weird as this is going to sound kind of that that film or that taste that grit that you get in your mouth from it and it's just something that you can it'll never leave your memory and it's it's difficult and i could just imagine actually i couldn't imagine what it would be like for somebody who bear witness for 240 plus Marines losing their life and then seeing nine 11 and just understanding the and gravity the, of, of that. You mentioned that there were sailors and, and those four tab soldiers were also killed that day. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it, but yeah, it's, it, it's definitely uh, something that you, you, and this speaks of veterans of all wars. Um, you know, uh, I had worked as I was retiring, I was working for this young uh, captain, and I do believe he's a general right now. <laughs> so, wow. um, and I won't mention names, but uh, uh, he was young, uh, he's from New Jersey. Uh, Short guy, uh, he had a lot of energy and a lot of attitude. And uh, we were, at this time, I th- I think there was like two World War One vets left in Pennsylvania or something like this. And mm-hmm. 
and we were going to put this uh, thing on for, you know, for these guys. And this is indoors and he wants to give them like a gun salute. And I'm like, sir, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, these gentlemen are in their nineties, these veterans and they're in wheelchairs and uh, well, the, you know, the, the blanks went off and these, these gentlemen, you know, 70 years later still jumped. Jeez. They, they still you know, that it doesn't leave you. Yeah. It doesn't. So your, your ears and, uh, um, you know, long before the, and, uh, Danielle, you're Daniel, Daniel, excuse me, you're there, right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Your ears, <laughs> they keep you alive along with your eyes. I mean, you, you learn every little pop and bang and, and, uh, Oh yeah. And you know exactly what it is. Yep. Yeah. You can tell the caliber, (laughs) everything. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I own guns, but I don't know. I don't like to shoot them no more. Yeah. Yeah, I I will, but that desire is gone, gone away. Yeah. I know you also went on to serve um, in the Gulf War in 1990. What was the main differences then between that and Lebanon? Uh, once again, that was, uh, I found anger at the military members then because they just came out with a new <laughs> new gadget called a Walkman. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. That, that was a nice little gadget. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, I, I took a Walkman there and, and my CDs and, uh, you know, and, uh, at, at the right time I would go listen to it, but it, it bothered me to see military personnel walking around in a war zone with, even though, you know, you could have been back in Saudi Arabia or, or up on the front lines in, in, in uh, Kuwait, it didn't matter. The enemy is everywhere. You're in their country, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you can't tell you. I'm sorry. Your average American cannot take a look at a guy and say, okay, he's from Kuwait. He's good. He's from Saudi. He's good. No, he's Iraqi. You know, um, if, if you're Middle Eastern, you're Middle Eastern. There's certain things you can tell, but yeah, for the most, they can blend in very well. And I, I seen a lot of military personnel just walking around everywhere. One thing, it's not part of the damn uniform, get the hell off. And for another thing is if you've ever had to have your ears <laughs> depend on whether you live or not, you wouldn't have that damn thing on. So, you know, there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of uh, military personnel that haven't had that experience over there. And that kind of bothered me. Um, but uh, going to the golf war, I, I remember they saying, okay, you know, uh, the saying used to be, we're going to take every time Dick and Harry. Well, this time they said, we're going to take every time uh, Tom, Dick and Harry and Susie. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe, no way in God's green earth would I believe they were going to take women overseas to combat zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they did. And uh, they did a good job. We couldn't, it was so vast and so big and moving so fast. It couldn't have happened without the women personnel, yeah. military personnel. Yeah. 
Well, it and uh, I mean, it wasn't like Lebanon where there was only 880 Marines there with us. We we walked, you know, we're talking 90 percent of the whole U.S. military reserves and everybody, you know, every (laughs) every swing and get up and move and get over there. I just couldn't believe they did it, you know, and that that was quite amazing. Um, And uh, being motor transport, everybody needs trucks. Mm hmm. And, uh, um, so they just dispersed us. Uh, so we got there as a company and they just divided us up in many different little platoons and we went to the winds. Um, uh, I even known, uh, motor transport guys that went with the army tiger brigade. Um, you know, I, uh, new Marines that, uh, motor transport Marines that went with the Brits. Um, and, and it was kind of like a reunion at this time. I believe I had oh, about 10 years in, in the Marines, mm-hmm. about nine ten years. And I've seen people there, uh, unlike the army. I mean, though the army is so massively large that, uh, you know, you might graduate from boot camp and never see another soldier again, but, mm-hmm. uh, where the Marine Corps pretty much broke up in East coast, West coast, but we, we finally got there. And, you know, both the East Coast and West Coast. And uh, and we were to the winds and they just kept out pushing us out further and further and further. And, uh, you know, here we are. A, um, we had a platoon. Uh, we had motor transport. We had some engineers. Um, we had some uh, Comtex, some tank mechanics. And, uh, they put us, I mean, right on the Iraqi border. Oh, wow. Way f- and, uh, and then they put an ammo dump right in back of us. And I'm like, you know, if, if an armor brigade comes, we're not even going to be a speed dump, a speed bump for these guys, you know? And, uh, um, I, we're out there for weeks Mm-hmm. and far, far away from the rear. And we were running out of food. Um, they were never <laughs> damn starving us in the morning. We would, uh, get a stewed tomato, a scoop of rice, a piece of bread, one MRE during lunch. And then in the evening you get a stewed tomato, scoop of rice and a piece of bread. <laughs> Jeez. What? <laughs> With and, maybe uh, a little bit of sand in that sandwich. <laughs> In the, in the Marine Corps, the the uh, the privates eat first, and I seen my company commander, who was, who was a thin runner from the beginning, I seen him meal after meal after meal. He would just come, stand in back of formation, and by the time the uh, lieutenants got there, they barely got any food, and the company commander would just turn around and walk away with no, no food whatsoever. Jeez. Wow. Mike, Mike, we didn't even, uh, I just realized we didn't even cover that you are a drill instructor and, and, yeah. I, and I'm kind of curious, what were some of your most like memorable moments of being a drill instructor? Like, is it the typical, like what you see on TV? Like, what are some of like the funny kind of stories of that role? All right. Oh yeah. Um, it's very typical. Well, you, you go through <laughs> DI school and, uh, and it's, it's, they told you, 
uh, DI school, it's, it's, it's very fast paced. It is very strict, uh, very grueling. Um, and you had to learn a whole lot real quick. And so they, they tell you, uh, don't touch recruits, don't touch recruits, don't touch recruits. And uh, so I reported in the third battalion as a, a, a new hat is a derogatory term for a new drill instructor. Okay. And treated like shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's, they, there's one way to make a drill instructor real mean. You don't ever let him go home. You don't let him eat. And everything he did, he did wrong. <laughs> okay. So that's yeah, how you make a new bad. drone structure. Really <laughs> Perfect. So, you know, I check into the sergeant major and report it in. And, you know, I'm, I'm a sergeant. Uh, you know, I have like eight years in it at the time. And uh, I thought it was professional and squared away. And I reported in and started major. He takes my service record book throws it over my head and he goes and he goes read the sign and here's this big cartoon of this drill instructor like just like dominating over this little recruit and it says if you're here to be one of the boys you're in the wrong place hmm. and he goes we'll figure it out and uh so i I walk across the parade deck, check in my first platoon, and they've already picked up a platoon. So they were, and uh, so the platoon was about um, about training day seven. So they were pretty new and stuff. And we're running, and uh, we're, it was chow time. We're chasing recruits out of the squad bay, and the Sergeant Johnson. Um, they called him the Freddy Cougar of Paris Island. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, oh, uh, Sergeant Johnson was probably like, oh, probably about six, four, six, five, big, tall, dark, very dark, dark green Marine, big split in his teeth. And, uh, he wasn't prejudiced at all. He hated everybody on the face of the earth. <laughs> and, uh, he looks at me and he goes, he didn't call me by my name. He says, Hey, new hat, you know? And, uh, I said, yes, Sergeant. <laughs> and, he, he goes, you better get with the program. And he hears a recruit running behind him. And this guy had this massive hands. He just reach, reaches in back of him and just grabs this recruit by the peck. And, you know, <laughs> as this recruit's running, stops him cold dead. And he pulls him in front of me and he goes, he goes, you just got to get with the program and get there now. And he just punches this recruit right in the head and drops him. Jeez. <laughs> you know, this was after three months of of going to school. You know, if, if you touch these recruits, you're going to jail. Oh, it's, touching, it's, that's like opposite like, now. Like going to jail. <laughs> and uh, but he um, he was a he was a very good marine, a very good drill instructor, and um, yeah, he. He snatched a few recruits up, but uh, he, he wasn't uh, abusive. Um, he was there for the core, and he taught me a whole lot. And uh, the biggest thing that he taught me was uh, spree de corps. You know, um, being yeah. a drill instructor, uh, you're not a football coach. You're not there for your own glory. Mm -hmm. You're there to teach these young men the spree de corps. You know, you're – and. Uh, but uh, some of the funny things uh, that we had going on was um, 
you always had a <laughs> a recruit that wasn't as and quite as smart as the other recruits. And mm-hmm. so we had one recruit. I couldn't even call you tell you his name. We just called him recruit without a brain. <laughs> oh, <shit>. and, uh, <laughs> so uh, I told the uh, and how it goes if uh, I wanted to speak to a recruit, I would say, hey, recruit Jones. I would just recruit, I would just holler out, recruit Jones. And then the rest of the platoon would respond, recruit Jones, report to drone instructor, Sergeant Davidson is ordered. And he'd go, I recruits, carry on recruits, and would come up and report to me. So I would actually say, without a brain, and then the platoon would say, recruit without a brain, report to drone instructor, Sergeant Davidson is ordered. And he would have to respond back, I recruits with brains, carry on recruits with brains. And <laughs> so um, we're, um, we're having a history test uh, the next day. And it's evening time, and uh, right before they're, uh, they're hitting the rack, I'm, I got my notes, and my desk would be three foot lockers stacked up, and I have the recruits in what's called a horseshoe formation. They would sit sitting down Indian style in, in a sh- U shape and a horseshoe. And I'm going over this information, which is pretty much telling them what's on the damn test because you don't want to see a recruit fail. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we'll see this again, thump, thump, you know, one of those type of things. And I was going over um, the Korean War, and I said, okay, the Marines landed in Incheon, and you will see this on the test. And and so, and everybody got this. Yes, sir. And uh, I said, good. I said, let me check. I said, without a brain, stand on your feet. He stands up. And I said, where did the, where did the Marines land? And he gives me this, sir which means he doesn't know. And so I grabbed his ear and I start screaming in his ear as loud as I can. Reveille, Reveille, wake that frick up, you stupid SOB. I said, Reveille. And I sat him down and I taught the whole class over again. And, I, and, and recruits are not allowed to look at drill instructors and unless they're told eyeballs. And, they, and so I said, without a brain, you look at me. I, w- I want to make sure that you're paying full attention. So I, you know, went over to complete class again, just him and I. And I said, now tell me. I said, you know where the Marines landed, right? And, li- and like in a Gomer Pyle fashion, he says, yes, sir. Private knows this time. Private knows where the Marines landed, sir. <laughs> I started walking away, and I'm like, wait a minute. So I did about face, and I come up to him. And I said, tell me. Without a brain, where the hell did the Marines land? He goes, sir, the Marines landed in Reveille. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> this is the same dumb SOB that uh, he he took off in the middle of the night to make a phone call. Back then they had uh, telephone booths and the MPs called him in a telephone booth and they brought him back and they roughed him up and they brought him back. And I'm like, uh, do you remember? Your, I said, did you make your phone call at least before you get thrown out of here? This private couldn't remember his phone number. Jeez. <laughs> oh yeah. There was, there was a, there was a lot of, a lot of fun time. So, That's but crazy. it was, it was such an honor to be a drone instructor. Um, you had to deal with, uh, you had to deal with a lot. Long, long hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
being a drill instructor back then, you not unless you were the black belt, the senior drill instructor, you were not allowed to eat in front of your recruits. You were not allowed to sit down in front of your recruits. You were not allowed to have a conversational, uh, com- any type of conversation, even with another Marine, you didn't have uh-huh. a conversation. Um, but now you were with these Marines 18 hours a day. It was called lights to lights. In other words, lights were on 18 hours a day. And then they were, you know, off the, the remainder of the day, which was their rack time. Mm-hmm. And then every third day you spent 24 hours with them and you didn't get time off. So it, uh, you screamed and yelled so much that, um, you would not in front of recruits, but, uh, you'd go in the head and, and, uh, you would, you would cough up blood. Jeez. Uh, you, you went home. If you got to go home, you, you sounded like a frog, you know, you had that uh, frog voice because mm-hmm. you're, you're destroyed. And, uh, the competition was, uh, it, it was fierce amongst other drill instructors. Um, band of brothers is a bunch of bullshit. These, these guys, they, they'd run the mother over the beach. You, the beach, you in any type of competition. Um, and, uh, oh yeah. Competition was, was fierce. And, um, I, I it was fierce amongst other, uh, platoons, you know, as far as competition goes and everything you, you taught that hard, you showed it. I mean, I've seen drill instructors actually throw fist in front of recruits <laughs> Jeez. Uh, and uh it, it, people were nasty <laughs> it was it was a very it was like putting a bunch of pit bulls in one pen mm-hmm. it was it was a very tough nasty environment and um but uh your reward would come um let's say it's a sunday evening and you had your platoon already two months. And, uh, so on Paris Island, if you have never been there, it's a very small Island and Sunday evening, it's like dead quiet. Um, and you were marching your platoons through, uh, like one down one of these old roads and, and they're locked on like a fine machine. They're just driving heels. I mean, they're driving heels like, and uh, we used to we used to do certain type of drills that the officers absolutely hated because it resembled we used to call it low gear march and it resembled the way that the Nazis would march and uh, I mean I never liked the Nazis but I sure liked the uniform and the way they marched <laughs> you know and uh, so we would low gear march and you would just it was just you and these recruits that you've been with for the last you know, two and a half months and, and they're like your machine and they're a well-oiled machine and you, and you're marching down and you say, boys, you better lay them freaking heels down, which meant they drive their heels real hard. So you hear that sound. He said, you know, you know, maybe the ghosts of how many dead Marines have marched down these same streets that you, that you have the pleasure, the honor to, you know, the march down and you would just get to their soul and, um, uh, it, it was just an honor and great experience to, oh, I can imagine read your soul, what you have done, you know, everything, you know, from, from the history, you know, of being a Marine to your personal 
experiences, good and bad, and just to funnel it through your through your soul, through your mouth. They have 72 recruits that have full attentions, you know, no girlfriends, no no phones, no TV, no nothing. The only thing they are there for is to be a Marine. And you have their full attention. And no way do you, should anybody ever abuse that privilege, you know, whether it be by physically abusing them or mm-hmm. thinking that you're, the, that you're the man, that you're better than the Marine Corps because you've got the hat, the drill instructor hat, you know, you're there to teach at Esprit de Corps. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah. It's yeah. a great no, and, uh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I, I could only imagine, like the the when you're going through that process, it's not only a reflection, you know, and and telling the the people, the recruits that are coming up to to really take advantage and soak it all in and get to the spirit of why they join and why they're doing what they're doing, but it's a it's a recap for yourself and kind of refilling your own soul and reminding you yourself why you're doing what you're doing and why you continue to do it. Yeah, it is. It's a recap. Definitely. Um, and then, uh, then you, 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 you put these boys on a bus and <laughs> quite often uh, the very same day, you'd pick up another baton yep. and, and go right at it. And matter of fact, uh, during the 80s, my first tour in a drill field was um, from 87, 89. And, of course, we were ramping up to go fight Russia, so it was all about numbers at the time. And uh, we would work two platoons at one time. Wow. And the, mm. the third deck, you were getting ready to graduate a platoon. And on the first deck, you were picking up a platoon. Jeez. And uh, um, well, you had to wear a dress uniform every day back then. Hmm. You did wear utilities, and if you know anything about Buford, South Carolina's humidity, <laughs> you know we out three uniforms a day. Um, Jeez, and but it, it it was putting that unit. Matter of fact, it, it kind of bothers me when I when I go back down there and I see drill instructors wearing camis. <laughs> I'm like, where's your dress uniform? Come on, yep. where's your dress? <laughs> where's your Charlie's? You know, and <laughs> I don't, but, uh, uh, one of the things that was kind of funny though, about wearing that dress uniform was, um, there were certain Marines, especially higher ranking Marines who never gone nowhere, never did nothing. And all of a sudden you get a sergeant or even a corporal next to you with a combat action ribbon, you know, he's been to Grenada or, uh, uh, Beirut or Somalia, you know, and, and then you got a Sergeant major with a uh, good conduct ribbon. Wow. <laughs> oh, let's not forget it's a Navy achievement medal. And, and, uh, I do believe that's one of the reasons why, uh, the Marines down there wear camis now is because, you know, you have all these, uh, all these young Marines that, uh, um, you know that they, they, it shows where they've been and what they've done on their chest, and uh, they don't. There's there's third majors and master sergeants and stuff that don't want to stand next to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a very valid point. I didn't even think about that, but especially right we, now, 
we, there was a ugly, ugly, freaking, the ugliest damn uniform the Marine Corps owned. And I think we adopted it from the British. It was called a woolly pulley. It was a sweater you would pull over your long sleeve elfish uh, or your Bravo, the long sleeve shirt. You just wear your chevrons on it. You know, and it just, we had one first sergeant. He'd call the uniform every day. If, if we knew he was going to call it what uniform he was going to call because this guy never did nothing, you know, he, but he was our first sergeant. We're like, yep, be prepared to be wear that ugly hot uniform while he was in the nice air conditioned office. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, and, and the the recruits that you would run across was amazing. Um, uh, I had one recruit. Uh, I was my second time down there. I was um, an, uh, a series chief. In other words, I had like three platoons under me, and uh, so I was walking the the line, uh, the firing line with the senior drill instructors. And one drill instructor goes, "Wait a minute." And he goes over and looks at this recruit and he gets a closer look at him. He goes, Doc, he goes, what the hell are you doing here? Doc is what we call their Navy corpsman. Here was a Navy corpsman who was with a Marine artillery unit over in the Gulf. He had a combat action ribbon and all and got out of the Navy and joined the Marines. And here he is going through boot camp. Um, probably the, the best recruit that I ever had was a, uh, Recruit Bartholomew. He was from England. Hmm. He was a lawyer in the British Army. Oh, wow. And uh, he joined the Marines. Um, and, uh, oh, you know, the, the first time I had him report to lieutenant, and uh, I didn't pick up on his English accent at the time. I said, and we had this uh, lieutenant by the name of Lieutenant Polydorus. He was a little Cajun guy from Louisiana, good, good officer. And I said, get their report to the series commander. And he stands up and he marches in his British, uh, the way the British march and stomped their feet. Mm-hmm. And he reports in and he says, uh, Private Bartholomew reporting to Left Lieutenant Pilodorus. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the lieutenant looks at me and he goes, what kind of type of games are you playing, Davis? And I'm this kid's for real, sir. <laughs> Yeah, had uh, uh, had recruits from all over the world. Had a prince from Africa, um, and uh, that's crazy. In fact, uh, uh, he was from Somalia actually, and his father was uh, the one that Black Hawk down. They wanted to hunt. They were trying to hunt down. Wow, really? No, I had a uh, professional boxer wimp out of boot camp hmm. by the name. Of, you're not going to like his name. His name was Bo Riddle. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, big professional boxer whipped out of boot camp. Interesting. Went home like three weeks later. Yeah. That's, so, uh, well, he was a professional he boxer. He had something to go back to. I don't think I can give up because I got nothing to ever go back to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, had uh, um, I've had. Uh, had another kid. Uh, um, he was from Egypt, uh, um, and uh, he, he was very weak, overweight. And he was kicked around from platoon to platoon because he couldn't pass the, the physical standards. 
you probably spent three times as long at uh, Paris Island than the average recruit and uh, wouldn't quit. And he even lost his child through, uh, I believe, an automobile accident. Mm. Like a two-year-old child, and he had an option to go home. And uh, he's, he chose to stay and be a Marine. Oh, wow. So I, did a, I, I told him, I said, you can have my phone call. I said, go, I was a serious chief. I said, you can have my office. Make as many phone calls as you want. Cry your eyes out. When you come out, be prepared to be a Marine. And he did. He graduated, um, lost all his weight, gained muscle. And uh, I'm sure that uh, with his Arabic uh, abilities, the Marine Corps put him to good use. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You just, uh, yeah, you never know. I, uh, uh, matter of fact, uh, I had another recruit from Lebanon. And uh, I took it personal. I asked him, what the hell was he doing in Marine Corps? And uh, he told me that uh, one of the places that we guarded over there was uh, uh, um, American University. Mm -hmm. uh, he said that uh, he used to play uh, basketball with the Marines. They were stationed there to guard. And, and um, he felt so bad that uh, the Marines lost their lives over there that um, against his families and his family disowned him and everything, but he left Lebanon and joined the Marine Corps to repay it back. That's wow. crazy. That's incredible. No, so, um, really this is America. Like you had a great, uh, career, like being a drill instructor then with all the experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, the, today's administration is changing the military drastically and we're not here to talk about that. And I won't, but, um, and you know, the politicians can make all the rules they want, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, good soldiers, Marines, sailors, coasties, airmen, they're, they're going to do good things. Yeah. Well, know, the, well they're, they're gonna do good things. Yeah. Yeah. And on that, on that vein too, like, uh, the one thing that's so powerful about the military is just the fact that it doesn't matter who's in, in the administration is like people who want to serve are going to do it regardless. It doesn't matter, you know, what political party is in power. It doesn't matter who's controlling Congress or, or any of it. It really doesn't matter because the people who are wanting to serve and really make a change and see, you know, the whether it's the United States or our allies be successful, they're going to serve regardless and they're going to put their best forward no matter what the circumstance. And that's what I think is so incredibly powerful and important to, you know, to, to tell and share about our military. Well, the, <laughs> that, that horrible day back in uh, Beirut, Lebanon, this doesn't make me sound like a very educated man, but I couldn't tell you the difference between a Democrat and a Republican back exactly. then. Yeah. You know, don't I, um, you know, did we have racial issues? Sure. It was, it was funny because, uh, and I'm sure it's no difference today. Um, when I first went in, they would have what was called racial tension classes. Mm -hmm. And um, it was about a two-hour class, which never lasted because they always broke out in a fist fight. Every single one. <laughs> oh, shit. Never seen, no lie, I've never seen one class last an hour. 
they would break up because uh, you just had a bunch of, uh, you know, and back then we didn't call each other black and white. You were dark green, light green. And, uh, you know, you just had a bunch of dark green Marines that like to fight and a bunch of uh, light green Marines that like to fight. And, well, give them a reason. They would fight. Yeah. And uh, But the same group of Marines that would fight, you throw them a deck of cards, they'd play spades all night long, just smoking and joking. <laughs> you take them on a 20-mile force march, and they'll be there, brother. <laughs> You know, let's, you know, come on, we, we can do it. We can do it. They would no fights, but That's awesome. you know, you, you, you go throw a politician and his silly rules in there. You got to, you got to fight. You got an argument, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. good people, be good people. And well, you know, um, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but, uh, one thing I've learned over my 61 years of living is, you know, bad people are still going to do bad things. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about you know what you what you did after service. But um, you know, you did serve through twenty one years. You've served during multiple conflicts, especially when the military, the um, the political structure, everything was in in so much flux and, and advancement. A lot happened in the nineties that you know, really catapulted us. But what do you think was the most valuable lesson that you've learned throughout all your service that has stuck with you now today? Um, definitely organization, grit, and uh, just to, no excuses. Get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> I you know, from day one, excuses were just not acceptable in the in the military. You know, there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, I, I have a gentleman that works for me by the name of uh, he's a retired gunnery sergeant by the name of Bill Keesper. Um, uh, right out of. <laughs> You talk to him, he's the typical cigar out of his mouth, deep Boston accent, built like a bull. Um, and uh, he's my foreman for all these years. And there's something that, uh, and I'm sure they still use it, it's called commander's intent. Mm-hmm. If, if, if your company commander says, take that bridge, but you know 20 Marines are going to get killed taking that bridge, but if you go around this way, nobody's not going to get killed. Well, it doesn't matter. Commander's intent, take the goddamn bridge because you don't, your 20 lives might be saving 2000 lives. Yeah. It's, you know, that's commander's intent. And that's something that was always very important and relaying it in the civilian world with myself and, and Bill, um, of course, I'm the business owner and he's the foreman and I describe it like I own the school bus and he drives it. <laughs> and, <laughs> but uh, we'll get certain customers. Um, they'll, they'll try to go behind my back and, you know, hey, you don't, Mike wouldn't mind if you did, you know, Bill will never, Bill will say, no, that's not the way it's done. 
or if Bill and Bill's an incredibly dedicated and, and intelligent carpenter, he's, he's really, uh, you know, I thank God for him, uh, you know, that he's been with me all these years. He's, um, even though he, he, his personality gets a little tough to be around. And then of course, you know, I've been known not to be a sweetheart myself, but you know, we're, we're, we always manage to come back and get along and no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, if Bill might call me 10 o'clock at night, Hey Mike, um, I got a great idea for tomorrow's job and he just won't go ahead and do it whether I'm there or not. And he'll say, we can do it this way. And I'll, I'll either give him and say, you know, Hey Bill, that's a great idea. Uh, go for it. You know, it saves me money uh, on and on. Or I might say, no, Bill, the contract says this. Yeah. Enough said, Mike. And, uh, you know, it, and some people might just call that good management in the civilian world, but bottom line, it's commander's intent. Yep. You know, um, the, the way we, some of the other things, um, you will never be on one of my jobs. Everybody's got the same t-shirt. Uh, you know, company logo, you will have your t-shirt tucked in. Um, you, you know, I, I, we don't play music, uh, you know, you don't throw a cigarette butt on the, on the, on the lawn. Um, you don't spit on the lawn, you know, we, from a mile away, anybody could tell that my business is being run by retired military. Oh, wow. Um, you're going to get your feelings hurt. No doubt about it. You're going to get yelled at. You're going to be forced to move and move fast. Um, we don't even give lunch breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's hard to have lunch breaks, though. And we and we push hydration. You yeah. know, it, it's like, don't I, get, don't I get a half an hour to go down to McDonald's? No. But you're gonna get a you're gonna get a five minute hydration break in the hour. Mm-hmm. Put that nasty soda down. Drink water. <laughs> eat food. You know we. Um, I mean, you know these are the type of things that you daily wear in the military. That you know you. Um, uh, it's you know everything from you know wearing a uniform to being physically fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's and when I. When I left, uh, well, that, that drill instructor attitude did stick with me, um, you know, through my career. Um, you know, it it, uh, it worked for me. And then when I when I got out and went into the civilian world, it uh, it was great because I felt like I, you know, I had nine young guys working for me, and um, you know, I had the attitude, uh, you know, motivate the strong and intimidate the weak. And, uh, well, if uh, you were weak, you weren't on this roof. We'd eat, <laughs> we did a lot of roofing at the time. And if you were, if you were motivated and strong, you know, you were, we were there where we'd have a lot of good laughs and, and, and I hired a lot of military guys getting out as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, there's one, uh, one young guy, he's uh, he's an area police officer. I'll just was call him John. And John, uh, um, he was at a gas station 
and you know, I recognized the haircut, recognized that jarhead look, and I'm like, uh, "You on leave?" He's nope, just got out. When'd you get out? Uh, yesterday. Oh wow. Here's my business. You you got a job, and uh, you know, he, he he worked for me while going through college. Uh, you know, during the summer, when I was going to college. He's an Erie police officer right now, and um, hmm. you know, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I, shoot, I walked into a grocery store one time, and here's this young kid. Um, he's wearing his USMC T-shirt, pushing uh, grocery carts out in the parking lot. And I went over to him with my drone instructor attitude. I'm like, so what, are you just faking the funk with that T-shirt? I said, uh, you in love with a Marine that has it? I said, what's, what's the deal here? I said, either join the Marines or take the damn shirt off. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he, he, he goes, well, I'm thinking about it. I was thinking about it, my ass. I said, I'll be here tomorrow. I said, I'll take you to down recruit station. And Oh, shoot. Uh, it was many years later. Um, I'm in another uh, Peach Street, their big busy street. I'm in another parking lot of another store. And I see a pair of uh, Marine camis hanging up in a uniform with a set of lieutenant bars on them. Well, years later, it was the same kid, went to boot camp, became, and then became a commission officer. And uh, what a conversation we had. He said, yeah, if it weren't for you, kick me in the ass in the parking lot. He said, I'd still be pushing grocery carts. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. <laughs> that is really cool. What is, and I want to know, like, kind of uh, – to, to circle back, you know, what has it been like for you, a father, to have two of your children who are in the military? Well, let me see. When I went to my grad, my um, my son's graduation and my daughter's graduation, I have one big complaint. They got these little bugs, and they, they seem to fly in your eyes and make your, like, eyes water. Oh, I know what those are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're called sea flies or gnats. <laughs> no, they're called pride tears. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's what you're talking about, huh? <laughs> um, well, I I, 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 I still can fit in my uniform. I, I still stayed fit after all these years. I, my wife and I, we still do daily exercise and eat very well. And, um, so, you know, my son, uh, my first son, uh, is and he was in the Coast Guard. And um, so I went to his graduation mm-hmm. you know, down in Cape May. And uh, they said I got, to, I got to go out and hand him a certificate of graduation. And um, in typical Marine fashion, I... I shook his hand. I believe I thumped him in the chest. (laughs) (laughs) Your base commander just wasn't used to that. You know, here's this, this, this father and this gunnery sergeant slugging his kid in the chest. You know, it was, it was, it was really great. And, um, and then my, my, uh, younger son, Elliot, uh, he, he was down, uh, we went to this graduation down at Paris Island, mm-hmm. and uh, and right before he went, I had that same Sergeant Johnson I told you about. Uh, he gave me this. Uh, he he gave me this book. 
Um, he said, write everything down. And I did. It was the little five by eight green books. I'm sure the military still has them. And I, I told uh, Elliot before he went into Marines, I said, Elliot, I said, I can teach you things that'll make you walk through boot camp. No other father can teach you this shit. He says, Dad, you're a dinosaur. They don't do that, things that way. And I'm like, okay, have fun. <laughs> and uh, 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 he was almost done with recruit training. And I sent him that book once again. And, and the drill instructors, when you get mail, they open that box peg and they seen it and they snatched it from him and they gave it back to him like graduation day. And his, his drill instructor comes out to me and he says, uh, when did you write this down? I said, 1985. He goes, nothing's changed. So I look at my son. I said, you hear that peckerhead? Nothing's changed. <laughs> <laughs> but you're all one of the freaking dinosaur, right? We, I don't know nothing. That's excellent. <laughs> it, it was, uh, I, you know, we still have that picture, uh, you know, with uh, dad and son. and, and uh, But um, one experience I do want to share with you um, is – so when he went after his boot camp leave, he went down to Camp Lejeune and um, have many, many, many friends that are still down there, retired Marines and civilians. And I said, I'm going to take you down there early. When we went down there and um, it was October during the traveling and stuff. And I didn't realize it was going to be the anniversary of the Beirut bombing. And if you've ever been to Camp Lejeune, Highway 20, uh, 24 is Lejeune Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And with June's on one side and, and uh, the town's on the other side and right down the center of the street, um, they had a first sergeant who lost his life over there and his young teenage daughter um, planted a uh, Bradford pear tree for each Marine, the one that uh, had died over there. And during the ceremony, and I remember it, these were little twigs. That, you know, I mean, this young girl had run out and get, collect all this money for that. You can imagine how much money it must cost to get all these trees together. So they were, weren't much more than a seedling at this time. You know, held up with a little stick and a rope around it so the girl's straight. And, you know, years go by and, and you know, a lot of good times go by and one of the good times is you know your son's graduating from boot camp and and uh so i i stayed at some friend's house um a retired sergeant major uh my uh, buddy of mine jack newburn um who was also a vietnam vet he told me he says mike do you know what date is and I'm like oh my god tomorrow's uh the anniversary and so i i felt bad that i didn't have a uniform or suit to put on, but I still did have, I, I, I you know, I put together a dress shirt and everything. Mm -hmm. And, and this is the town of Swansboro and I'm driving in the, the camp of June. Um, my son's getting ready to report into the school of infantry there and I'm taking them and he's in his alpha uniform. So I'm, I'm just as proud as can be. And, you know, and I'm driving and I'm looking at him in his uniform and we're going to the, before reporting in, we're going to the, um, the Beirut, uh, memorial and they had a ceremony for it. And then I come upon the Bradford pear trees and they're 20, 30 feet tall. Mm. 
and it's like somebody hit me with a freaking brick, you know. God bless, God bless me to where I got to see my children grow. Mm. I got to see my son in uniform. And each one of these trees is a human that didn't get to see that. Wow. And uh, I believe his first time, I, I just cried like a baby. I cried. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe at the time my my son understood it. He's like, you know, I, I, I can't remember if I pulled over and walked in the woods and just regained myself. And he said, you're right there. I'm like, yeah. And uh, I, 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 I don't know if he understood it or not. I mean, um, my son's... He gets a lot of things. He's, he's very intelligent in a very different way. So I'm sure he did, but, you know, I didn't verbally explain it. And uh, so, you know, I, I regained myself. We went to the ceremony. And um, uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, um, know a lot of very older Marines. Um, I was... I was married once before, and my first wife's uh, father was a Marine from 1939 to 1969. Oh, wow. And he was there down there. And, you know, I got to know all these old, these, these old Sergeant Majors. Um, I mean, I got to meet the first black Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps was my neighbor, you know, and, uh, hmm. uh, and, and so they have uh, the Purple Heart Association. Mm-hmm. And all these guys, they're there. And, and you know, and, and uh, you know, here are these lieutenants that I once knew that are now generals. And, you know, it's like, Dad, how do you know all these guys? I'm like, your man's been around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, he's just a slick, sleep private, you know. And uh, so the, the, ceremonial, the ceremony went well. Um, and I, I really didn't. I didn't. I was a little disappointed. I didn't see anybody from my platoon or anything there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like I was looking at this one uh, young Hispanic fella, and I'm just looking at him. And I'm looking at him. And I'm like, where do I know you from? He goes, you don't know me. And I'm like, okay. And a little bit after that, this, this lady comes up to me and says, shows me a picture of her cell phone. And says, is this who you know? And I says, yeah, that's Gunny Hernandez. And and I looked, and she says, and he had passed over there. She says, that's his son. Of course, they look wow. just alike. Oh wow! So you know, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm telling you this to relate the the father uh, child experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then uh, this uh, so. After the ceremony broke up, I went walking, and uh, um, then uh, this sergeant major by the name of Michael Jones, he was, I believe, at the time, the uh, sergeant major of FMF Land was probably the second highest uh, sergeant major in the Marine Corps at the time. Hmm. And he, he worked for me as a sergeant down at Paris Island. He's like, Davison, Davison. And my son turned around, and, you know, here he thinks he's getting his ass chewed by the sergeant major. You know, he goes, he goes, are you a Davidson? He goes, yes, sir. He goes, 
Where's your, go get your old man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, uh, you know, it it was experience. um, And I got to do a, uh, um, what the Navy calls a, uh, they, I can't remember what they call it. Anyways, uh, my son was come back from deployment. And and this is years after my retirement. I flew to Hawaii, got on the, Theodore, USS Theodore, mm-hmm. big aircraft carrier, and as a retiree, took it back from Hawaii to San Diego. So, you know, here's this 55-year-old man hanging out with a bunch of 21-year-old Marines. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it could still be fun. Certain things never change in the Berlin area, you know? There's no exactly. around magazines and... <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, to move on, my uh, my youngest daughter, uh, Eva, you know, she graduated from uh, the Coast Guard and, uh, um, and you know, and I got to, we got, they do things a little different. I got to, it was an indoor ceremony and she got to uh, render um, my, her first salute to me. And uh, even though I'm, you know, not a commission officer and it, <laughs> Yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, there's the rest of you parents, but yeah, we got something special going on. <laughs> oh, that, that's my mistake then. I thought you only had two children in the military. I didn't realize you had three. Yeah, yeah it's uh, Nicholas. He's, he's a deputy sheriff in Virginia Beach. I just spoke to him a couple hours ago. And uh, yeah, but uh, it's... Uh, that's incredible. Yeah, it's 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 a, it, it puffs that chest up real good. It does. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as we as we kind of draw to a close, I, I wonder, especially what you told your children, but what would be your advice just for veterans in general that are, are leaving military service and are transitioning into the civilian workforce? Like, what is what is the message you you commonly share? Um, for one thing, don't be misled. You know, just because the um, the day you get out, it's not all <laughs> it's not it's not all peachy keen. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to work, and uh, you know, I've I've seen a lot of guys and gals they like they think the day they get out of the military, life's going to be all grand. Well, um, you have to work, and so take your positive experience, um, what you learned, the things I talked about. Uh, how to present yourself, um, and, uh, how to hold yourself, how to talk, you know, and, you know, you made it through boot camp, you made it through whatever mountain that military gave you. And so everything else, it should be easy. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Um, I, I think everybody's learned some type of skill in the military. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, 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 I hear people say that, oh, I, I, want, I want my son or the, join the military, but I don't want him to be in the infantry or I don't want him to just drive a Humvee. You know, I want him to be this high-tech technician. Well, you know, people change their career all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people go to college for one thing and do completely another. So, um, but those experiences of leadership, responsibility, 
pride in yourself, pride in your country, pride in what you're doing with your life. Um, I'm sorry, there's there's not a better school out there than the military for that. Yeah, no, totally. Well, it's just incredible to even hear, you know, not only your story, but your experience of being in so long. You know, I think the most important question of this whole interview is, you know, what was your favorite crayons that you like to eat? Was it the red or the yellow ones? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you how old school I am. That wasn't even a, that wasn't even a heard of joke when I was in. So I don't eat damn crayons, all right? <laughs> I figured it wasn't. I thought I'd throw it out your way anyway. answer. <laughs> <laughs> When when did that become a thing? I, I honestly want to know. I have no idea. Probably probably G Watt early two thousands. You think so? I think so. Probably. Yeah that yeah that one uh, that one came along. I think I was already retired. So you know. That's funny. <laughs> so you could you could say, <laughs> um, you know, same with the the coins that everyone hands around. That wasn't a thing when I was around either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think and now it's huge. Know, yeah, and I think it's amazing. It's it's uh, you know um, I, th- I think it's a really good thing. Yeah, you know, we got we got a coin coming out for our book. Yeah, that's, uh, releasing too. Yeah. We're doing those. So, oh, but, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we're doing like a limited edition coin for all services of military that have been in, and just to kind of you know give people a limited edition coin to hold on to with the book. But yep. it, it has become a pretty popular thing. I see like all branches doing it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I believe that was their army's uh, big thing. I think they were the one to start it. I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the first coin I got was um, I was nearly retiring, and I'm sitting on a plane, and some older gentleman next to me, and he says, "You got that that marine look?" And I said, "Yes, sir." And he, and he goes, uh, and he hands me a coin, and he was uh, two star general of uh, special special forces you know (laughs) thanks sir (laughs) you know i I had no idea he was a two-star general you know he was he was just wearing his casual suit you know and um but i've i've started a little collection myself um um of course uh lee ermy you know who oh yeah I was going to ask a question earlier about him but uh i i figured like if you shaped any of your drill strategy based around him and uh and full metal jacket that's the way it was well i have we uh we personally met and he gave me his coin oh wow wow that's of course awesome he's with us. yeah mm-hmm. um i think the last two i got a uh, um a couple old uh, retired uh, navy guys uh they reached in their pocket over their big fat bellies. <laughs> <laughs> and they pulled out a, uh, a submarina one. And of course, you know, we joked with each other and, uh, you know, had good laughs and a good handshake. And, uh, you know, we're all brothers. And, uh, so, but I never, I, I never had a coin to hand out, but I, I do collect them. And that's great. I, I think it's neat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, I want to thank you again for taking the time to be on this podcast with us. It's been great kind of hearing more in depth of your story. And, and again, just thank you for for being on and sharing it with us. Oh, no, no problem. This this has been awesome. Um, I, I don't mind the talk. I, um, I hope I did talked about the right things and covered some of the right things. And uh, Absolutely. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, it's yeah. always about your story and uh, we look forward to, to speaking to you again soon and, and enjoy your night. And thanks again for joining us. All right. Well, God bless you all. Thank all right. You. God bless. Yeah, Take ease. Thank you so much for joining our last 20 episodes. That wraps up season one. We are actually preparing for season two coming up in a few short weeks. Actually, we are redoing our studio. We're putting padding and soundproofing up on the walls and kind of getting everything ready to go. But Dan, it's been awesome so far for season one. Yeah, it's been incredible. Had some amazing guests, some veterans that are in the book as well as veterans that are not in the book. And we're looking to include um, more veterans that are not in the book moving forward. If you're somebody who's interested in being part of the show, definitely contact us at info at weareunitedvalor.com or go to our website, weareunitedvalor.com and just hit the contact us. Also, if you're interested in endorsing or sponsoring the show in any form, uh, go to the same contact us at weareunitedvalor.com. Yeah, like Dan said, as we're going forward, we want to make sure that we're getting better and better with every season. So season two, be prepared. We're going to be making some updates. Uh, we're also going to be updating a little bit of sound audio and getting everything prepped for season two. So stay tuned. We'll keep you guys posted. And if you guys enjoy the show, feel free to rate us, leave us a comment, let us know what you like about it and what we can adjust so that we can make sure that we're delivering the best quality to you guys. 